Hi everyone, it's Jill. This Saturday, the 25th of April, A Favor for Freddy is holding a drive through pet pantry where we are distributing 1,000 bags of dog and cat food free of charge to San Diegans hit hard by the coronavirus outbreak. If you are a senior or immunocompromised and cannot attend the event, please email us at info at afavorforfreddy.org as we have a limited quantity available to be delivered to you. We hope to produce many more of these locally and nationally. So please consider donating if you can. Any amount helps at www.afavorforfreddy.org. And now, here's episode two. My guest for the second episode of A Favor for Freddie is James Pillar. Hi, James. How are you today? I'm all right, Joe. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. How are you managing in this new world that we are in? Uh, I am finding that I'm really good at attending to things or really good at not doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> myself I'm going to be really good at embracing this time and opportunity to read that book mm-hmm. finish that article learn the guitar or 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 yes and uh, I'm consistently inconsistent at all the goals <laughs> I set myself yeah but is it, that that's fine and you know <laughs> I think people are putting so much pressure on accomplishing things in this time that yeah. that they're not taking the chance to just take it all in and and breathe for a moment. I think you're right. I think there was this weird, especially in the first couple of weeks, urgency to really getting stuff done. Yes. You know what I mean? Like uh, ticking boxes, being normal, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. you know, et cetera, et cetera. Correct. And and I had a pretty strict work regimen until this this thing all kicked in. Mm -hmm. And I think... That disappearing and my reaction to that that I wasn't really aware of was the first thing that really stuck out, suddenly being like, oh, wow, Um, I was really going at it in this fairly tight schedule, and that's gone, and for for now at least, Mm -hmm. and so suddenly I had this time, and I was surprised by how much effect that had, like my sleep pattern was all messed up, and I different levels of concentration were affected and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And, um, you know, and my inner critic was unleashed. <laughs> yeah. All that stuff. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about Suki. Suki, a dog that me and my partner, Erica, in fact, Erica founder. And this was four and a bit years ago. We had a old English sheepdog before that, who we really loved. And she, who we nursed through cancer, and she got four extra years of life. And then we got Suki, who's an Australian shepherd. Her original name was Dolly Mm -hmm. that we wanted to change, and so we found this name. We had her for a few weeks, and she was just super happy the whole time. And so we looked up different uh, ways to say the word happy, and we found a version in Sanskrit 
which means Suki, which means happy or the happy one. And that's how she got her new name, which she's displaying now as I stroke her nose. So, um, James, tell me, tell me what exactly you do and a little bit about the program. I work at the Old Globe Theatre based in Balboa Park in downtown San Diego, and my job title is Master Teaching Artist, which is very grand and makes me laugh. And I have a focus on, specifically with my work, is I work with populations who are currently experiencing incarceration. So they are currently serving time either in the state uh, prison system or in the county jail. That's, that's where I'm spending most of my time these days. And I work on a program for the Old Globe, which is called Reflecting Shakespeare, which I co-created with my partner, Erica Phillips. And um, this is a program where we take uh, Shakespeare into different settings and we pull apart those stories, struggle with that language, learn how to speak those words, and, and ask ourselves questions about how we relate to these stories, where do we find ourselves within the situations and the the things that the characters go through. That's the main focus of what we do. What is the principal goal of this program? So Shakespeare is at the forefront. That's the tool that we use. And that was an interesting one for me because some Shakespeare I really love, Mm -hmm. some I really don't like. And it's, you know, written all those years ago and some perspectives and that are, are, are hard to look at through the lens of the 21st century for sure. But even when you pick that apart, I think there is some, not always, but there is some understanding of various parts of the human condition that Shakespeare somehow was really able to look at and explode beautifully through that language mm-hmm. and the poetry of that language and those characters and their situations. And so we use that as the tool, as our, our way in, really to share what it is to be alive for all of our our faults and also to work creatively together to endeavor to put something up on its feet to share artistic ideas to laugh together to ask ourselves questions about the work and therefore through the the work and the words of shakespeare ask questions about ourselves why should the incarcerated be allowed to participate in programs like this I just think that to get anyone together in any situation in a group, in a room, uh, sharing ideas, responding to text or music or whatever it might be, but responding to an idea and asking a question about it and then trying to put that work on its feet, rather like when we're working on in a, on a play or a production anywhere, there's that battle with the material, the how we see ourselves inside the material and going on that journey together. That's the goal. Now, within that, there is more specifically for, for um, certainly people who are part of this program, which is part of the, the um, state system, prison system, um, they can earn what are called rehabilitation credits that are going for a program like this. That's a, C, a CDCR term, not my term. And they can earn hours off their sentence time by completing programs like this or taking part in programs like this. And that can be, a, that's huge in a person's life, right? Chipping away at that. You can chip away at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really happy to be part of a, a program like that that offers that, offers that opportunity. 
Um, so yeah, we go on this, this journey together. And I think that that's could be for anyone or everybody. Can any of them participate or is it, uh, are there stipulations to who people who are part of the general population mm -hmm. or so who are not segregated or under disciplinary situation on top of the situation we're already in, if you have a certain kind of job and your job clashes to when this program is, is offered, then you cannot be part of it on that day. So anything which is like seen as education or a job will keep you out of this. And of course we would love anyone to be there, but there are, you know, our program happens at certain times. So okay. if you, you are free to be part of this program, you get assigned to this program by uh, filling in a form saying you want to take part in some what are called RAC credited programs, rehabilitation credit programs, and then that's it. You sign up and you come and, and experience it. Do you believe that programs like this help and in what aspect? I only have anecdotal evidence, I guess. That's a horrible word from, um, from people I've been in the room with who have talked about how this allows a different experience in their day, that it's transformative and transportative, meaning that they are outside of their everyday environment for a couple of hours, that they may be sat in the room working with and speaking with someone who outside of that room within the world of prison politics that they can't ever talk to or should never speak to. I think that opportunity to allow a different experience into your day is important. I would say that for people who are experiencing incarceration, it's very stressful. You are on your guard all the time. And some of the people that we work with have talked about that opportunity to, um, refined a playful side to their life, a joyful side to their life that may uh, have to be shelved or has been forgotten. We often talk about trying to, for all of us, including the facilitators of these programs, that we want to try and leave our baggage at the door, of course. you know, and just be free to play, be playful, and listen develop our skills of empathy for anyone and everyone while we're in that circle that we try and set up. We try and use uh, Vegas rules. What happens in the circle stays in the circle. <laughs> That's a good yeah. rule. Yeah, for anything. Do you have any restrictions as far as interaction is concerned? So, for example, so we run one group that works uh, within the women's county system, and the rules are very different between the county system and the state system. And I think that often we see all of those systems of incarceration as one block and they, they do all operate very differently. When we're working in the county system, we work at the Las Colinas Reentry and Detention Facility, which is out in the Santee area. Mm -hmm. There's no physical contact with the people who are in that place. So no handshakes or any of that stuff, right? And that's the ground rule there. When we are working in the state system, handshakes can be offered, and that's, that, that's the physical contact that happens here. Now, that's a big deal because to offer a handshake there, sometimes eye contact with a stranger is a big no-no, right? I offer eye contact and handshake, <laughs> um, which uh, is just my way of trying to interact. Uh, we try to use first names, and we use first names only when we're working. 
And often in the state system, people only use their last names as the way that they speak with each other. So we try and use first names. And that can also be jarring. We've been in groups where people, some of our uh, group members, have not known people's first names before, and that's the first time we're hearing those. I guess it's all part of trying to set up a different experience to the rest of the day. Yeah, we keep personal information to to a minimum, and that's that's tricky because theater is often about opening yourself up exactly. and being as truthful as you possibly can. Yes. And so that's a definitely that's definitely hard, I would say, on the mind and the heart how you navigate that. I guess as I found out why I got into this work, some of my personal feelings around some of that stuff, I, I know that I have to kind of leave that at the door. My job there is to make the work happen. Having to really navigate that balance between working with the staff who work in those places, which is not an easy place to work, and the people who are currently housed in those places and having to, to navigate between those two populations. And now a word about an artist that we think you should check out. I know that photograph well. The tilt of your head, your paws touching, your scrunchy little face not looking at the camera. I have seen that photo so many times. Then a paintbrush immortalized you in a way I never noticed. It made me smile. I realized you were looking at your mom. Cynthia Nitton captured the sparkle in your eye, the one you would get every time you saw her, something a photograph did not do. I will look at it differently now. Her brushstroke capturing a moment of connection between a Pekingese and his person. To have your favorite moment captured in a forever way, please visit www.angelsinafurcoat.com. What do you think happens to a mind that is allowed this outlet? I would say some of the people that we work with have never been in in a theater class before or an art class. One of the things that I've really been struck by is a moment that happens often in these circles where we suddenly realize that we're laughing together about something and not laughing at someone or something. And that's a very different experience. That experience of laughing together is really powerful as is sharing sorrow about something. I think it allows us to drop our defenses, allows us to put our guards down. I I think that's healthy across the board. Within this context, when guards are often up for a, a, a million reasons, some of them very important, then to have a moment where you can let some of that go. And in our circle, some people operating with people either side of you is is a huge leap forward to be able to do that. There's huge joy to be had in that. Well, I I wanted to say, I know that, you know, full disclosure, Jill and I have worked together in a couple of uh, different contexts. And I would say that in some of the work that you and I did together, you saw stories shared to express a feeling or a voice. And for me, I always felt like, I guess the thing I would experience was the relief or the release that may happen, even if difficult or problematic, was really huge. And that was, for me, always the the draw of this work. As a facilitator and 
participant. That was the reason I wanted to keep coming back. It's such a beautiful thing to experience. It's amazing. I mean, there's some kind of cliche about these places, which are you can view as being filled with darkness, so that when there is laughter or joy or empathy and understanding or, wow, you said something that I never could say, but wow, you really said it, and I understand that. I've heard so much insight and understanding of the world and who we are as people or perspectives that I never thought about tenfold since I've been doing this. I guess that goes into this next question. What have you personally learned in this process? There's a whole lot that comes up about how whenever we walk into any room that we make judgments about people, even when we say we don't or we're never guilty of that stuff, you see someone and you get that first impression a voice or an accent or, you know, all, all those things that we may say we never do, but I think somehow as humans, we get a feel or an impression straight away. The main thing I've learned is always be ready to be blown away by, by a moment. To be open and to be available that something is really going to happen and that everyone has some kind of insight to share and also be happy to be challenged. I really like to listen, to really just share stories with people about their lives Mm -hmm. uh, that come out of learning about uh, discussing text. You know, one of the main things we ask often is, oh, so because Shakespeare is hard to understand sometimes, and you may have to go, oh, so this moment, how do you relate to this? Where do you, what does this scene remind yourself in maybe your own experience? And once you pick that apart, certainly the majority of the time, and nearly everyone in our circles has been able to go, oh, yeah, I've, I've felt like that, or I've seen that, or I've had that put onto me, or I've done, I've put that feeling or that moment onto somebody else. And I think that that's, that's been really amazing, continues to be amazing. Yeah, that's, that's, you know, and, that's incredible that when you open yourself up that much, you, you realize how much we are all exactly the same. It's really something. I, I'm not... American, I've not been in prison. I'm from a tiny fishing village on the other side of the planet, and yet I can be in these places here, and we can come to understanding about a feeling or a moment where we can we can share that. I'm constantly amazed, and I, I suppose like weirdly reassured by that. These last three questions I ask, I, I ask of every guest. Um, the I, first being, how do you believe kindness can change the world? But I think that if you give into it, the the feeling of kindness when you either are really receiving it or giving it, there's such a feeling of well-being that is so important and so sustaining. I was listening to a song recently, and one of the, the lines in the song is, while I'm alive, I can make tiny changes to the world. And I'm a big believer in tiny changes. I like, I like that idea that those small acts are just hugely impactful. Tell me about a time that you have extended kindness to someone or something. I had one just yesterday that I really didn't want to do until I got over myself and did this thing. I had to do a repair on someone's car. I don't know anything about cars. I'm from the ocean. I don't like cars. (laughs) But this person really needed their exhaust fixing. and, uh, And it was hanging down and bashing on the ground the whole time. And I knew it was irritating to them, and I knew that they physically were not able to—they were not able to fix this thing themselves. 
I griped and grumbled about it. But when I was actually went out and did it and got it done, it felt good to take care of this person who couldn't get that done. I'm glad I did it. Embarrassed that I resented doing it or the notion of having to go do it in the first place. You know, so that was a good reminder. How were you impacted by someone's knowing or unknowing act of kindness towards you? I would say that my partner, because now we're seeing each other all the time, I would say that her generosity and constant kindness, I found that in this new world we're in for the moment, I found that really overwhelming. Like I'm definitely really, I guess, looking at this relationship and going, oh my God, I'm so fortunate and this person is amazing the time to put up with my nonsenses and they extend their brilliance and their generosity in such a way that I find it quite it's quite amazing. James, I appreciate you. I believe that people are not their crimes or extenuating circumstances. Choices were made that they need to be held accountable for, but I know that situations are informed by many different facets, and I also believe the work you do is very necessary, so thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for asking me to do this, and I am uh, grateful for the work that I get to do. And please stay safe out there and give my love to Erica. Be safe and well. All right. Bye, James. I asked some of Freddie's Facebook friends, what have you always wanted to do but haven't quite gotten around to? Here's what they said. I wanted to do a children's book series, and the whole title of the entire series would be Everybody Loves Pompeii. And what I wanted to do in each of the books was have Pompeii experience something that a little kid would experience that would be a big deal to them, but I then if they could see this little bitty dog working through whatever it was, they would be able to think, well, if she could get through that, so can I. I would like to move back to Florida and buy some land in Ocala, taking standard bred horses and Pekingese dogs that no one else wants. Was learn to play the guitar. <laughs> Go to a big Pekingese dog show. But I've always wanted to write a book. I've just never gotten around to it, probably mostly because of life. Um, so it's kind of always been one of those back burner things. Thank you for sharing your dreams with us. And thank you to all the workers out there for your dedication, commitment, and courage. You have our deepest gratitude. Music written and performed by Alex Guzman with additional lyrics by Jamie Channel Guzman. Thank you to James Pilar, Anna Marie Topolsky, Marianne Dell, Stacy Gruse, Nikki Thornton, and Cynthia Innington. Please join us next week as we speak to a pet bereavement counselor. For more information, go to www.afavorforfreddy.org and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until forever, Freddie.